last week, uh, if you were here, you heard from Nate Mirza, who works with international students. He said that um, of the top, remember this? He said of the top 500 universities in the world, um, uh, of the top 20, 18 of them, I think he said, were in the United States, and what a opportunity that is. I don't know if you know this. I went and looked it up this week because I wanted to find out where UW was on that list. It's number 18. It's in the top 20. I, somebody told me this week that the most, UW spends more research dollars than almost any university in the country. Maybe, the, maybe number one, I can't remember. And so it's way up there. And so it is, you normally you wouldn't think, oh, state university, yeah, huge international student opportunity. Um, UW is a disproportionately large international student opportunity for a state university. We're incredibly blessed to have that in our backyard. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about earlier in the year, um, or at the end of last year, was the whole issue of religious freedom and Christian persecution and our, our relationship with the global church and, the relation, and its relationship to um, religious freedom and persecution and our responsibility to them. And so I wanted to invite somebody to speak to us that had both experienced persecution, had felt it on his own skin, um, and knew something about it, both what's happening and understanding it theologically and biblically. Um, my friend Manohar James, we met in 2003. He was principal then of Mission India um, Theological Seminary in Nagpur, India. He had been a missionary and a church planner. He was the principal of that institution. Um, he came um, partly at my urging to the United States for a PhD a few years ago, and um, he got here just as the bottom fell out of the economy. And so all the funding that was supposed to be available for him to do PhD level research, and if you do, just you know, PhD, there's no money for that, okay? It's not like doing it in something where you get a grant or it's not like that. You have to pay for it. And so he got here, and so our friendship grew as we figured out how we were going to pay for this, because I felt responsible, you know? And so he's been, and, he's, and we've made it this far, and he's now almost to the dissertation portion of his dissertation. He's doing intercultural studies at um, Asbury Theological Seminary, and he's studying the issue of religious per persecution and religious pluralism and inter interfaith dialogue in places where tensions are really high, places like India. And so I thought he'd be the perfect person to come, having experienced it, and now having studied it on the doctoral level and having a passion biblically and for the church in these countries. So I want you to listen very intently to Manohar, not just because he's my friend, but because he's experienced this with his own flesh and blood, because he's studied it as deeply as he can, and because he's going back to face it in a couple years when he finishes this. And um, I'm really glad to have him here. You may have to listen hard because he speaks Indian, English. But it'll be worth it. So hang in there and please welcome Manohar as he comes and shares with us. Good morning. It's an honor for me to be with you this morning and worship the Lord together with you. In fact, I had a sore throat uh, for the last four days and uh, that could be one potential excuse for my nervousness. <laughs> well, uh, thank you High Point Church for inviting me and thank you uh, Pastor Nick and Alexi for your friendship and uh, all of your love uh, this morning with your smiles and thank you so much for that. Well, uh, I want to caution you before I speak because uh, I come from India where 1,652 languages and dialects are spoken. You may have to tune your ears like we tune radio to catch up what I'm trying to say. In fact, my mother tongue is Telugu. My wife's language is Tamil. 
our family language is malayalam our missional language is hindi and i'm trying to preach in english <laughs> well if you did not understand something i'm speaking don't worry about it because i even don't understand sometimes what i speak <laughs> today we're going to talk about global persecution what the church is doing and going through around the world and why are we talking about it in a congregation like this where we are all living in a comfort zone is it essential for us to speak about it well i have four reasons to speak about it this morning first one is it is one of the top human rights issue today second jesus spoke about it the persecution do you remember when he went to give his sermon on the mount in his list of beatitudes last two beatitudes talk about persecution and he said in matthew chapter 5 verse 11 and 12 which says blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me when he spoke that maybe the congregation maybe the people hearing him must have astonished at what he was trying to speak because that time jesus was not even persecuted disciples were not even persecuted in other words he was trying to equip them hey be ready get used to this things are going to come and they are not going to be comfortable as you are trying to hear today in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 we see that the persecution is a part of our identity with Christ in his life and message that's what it's a kind of a package of our God's call that we need to cherish in terms of enjoying the persecution and the fourth reason I have is we are part of the global church we are not a single unit here we are part of the global church that's what first Corinthians chapter 12 26 says if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one man is hit or executed somewhere in pakistan it affects the church on the other side of the world well we're going to talk so details about it and i want you to watch a small video that gives you a sense of what i'm trying to talk to you this morning because of their loyalty to Jesus Christ and their love for Him. They may be abandoned by others, but not by God. My Father in this world left me, but my Father in heaven will never leave me. I love my parents so much. I want them to know that I'm praying that the Lord will open their hearts and minds. I would like to send a message to my dad. You say you want to kill me, to shed my blood in public. No matter what decision you make, I forgive you. 
There are two ways when the government finds out someone is a Christian. There is execution. And number two, when a Christian gives up their religion, they are sent to the countryside to political concentration camps. If they found me praying or encouraging my friends in Christ, they will take me and put me in prison. They try to force us to deny our faith and beat us when we refuse. The mob threatened us, saying that India belongs to Hindus. Christians do not belong here. They make slogan, Christians have to move from this village, otherwise we will kill. They warned us that if we rebuilt the churches, they would kill us. They would break our body into pieces, just like they broke our church into pieces. Many have come to me and said that they went to a church and were told not to come. That makes my heart sad. I can't see how we are second-class believers. Just because some inherited their faith from their parents and others searched for God and found Him. Many Christians have abandoned us. They could have helped us, but they didn't. These people are supposed to stand with us and have a part in solving our problems. First, the Christians were pushing us to go to the church and be at the meetings. But after I went to jail, they said, please don't come to the church again to avoid us having problems. We are asking the Lord to give us more boldness, to give us the strength to bear His name and to stand strong in the face of terrible persecution. They cannot burn Christ and the church from our hearts. We are in God's hands. I have the Holy Spirit inside me, and He gives me the strength not to be afraid. It was really hard, but praise God, God took every care. No one backs like it. No one lived Christ. They became very strong believers. My faith was never shaken. I know that in all situations, God is with me. Whenever the persecution comes in your life, do not be discouraged. Just go and ask strength from God, and God will save you. God will guide you in every difficulty, in every difficult situation. Keep strong faith in God. I will always trust God who gives me another new life. Always God with me everywhere. God has strengthened me. He has made me bold. I cannot stop. I must continue this because I was chosen by God for this work. We want people around the world to pray for us. We want people to speak out on our behalf so that we can have the freedom to practice our faith. What we have seen is just a shadow of bigger reality in the world. I think some of you know about Asia Bibi, what happened to her in June 2009. She went with 30 other women to pick up the berries. One of the women asked her, what do you think of Muhammad? She said, he's a good man. Then the second question followed, what do you think of Jesus? Actually, they knew that she is following Jesus, not Islam. Then she said, Jesus is God. There were a few other questions. Even before she returned from the field back home, the news already reached her home. Mobs came and hit her husband and child, and they were all on the street, and then police comes and arrests her. 
After one year, the judgment passed on saying she must be hanged for blaspheming Muhammad. It's a terrible. So the governor Salman, governor of Punjab, he said, this is not right with Supreme Court to pass kind of a judgment, a hard judgment on a, on a woman, on her opinion. And he was shot dead by his own gunman the next day. And there was another minority commission minister, his name is Shabazz. He said, I will fight for the right of this woman. She can do that. It's not a problem in this country. He just gave just a video interview for BBC. Next day, he was killed in a bomb. Who would rescue her? She is still waiting in the jail. Yesterday, I received an email that says she always sits in front of the you know, jail you know, window and she sees a bird every time comes and you know, tweets kind of things and she's, she says, I hear the voice of God. This is what the condition of many people. In the last two decades, Pakistan has charged 647 people under blasphemy laws. You don't have to preach the word of God. Just be a Christian. That's it. People will ask a question and trap you in their chains. And it is hard for the gospel around the world. I think all of you are aware of what happened to Nigeria a month ago. Radical Muslims killed 29 Christians in two days, asking northern region Christians to leave the country. This is our country. We will rule this country. <clears throat> they also killed 40 Christians on Christmas Day. You come to Iran. Christians are trembled by the radicalized Sharia law. Anything you do, anything you say, you have no guarantee that you will live tomorrow. You know what happened to Pastor Yusuf Nadar Khani? He went in front of the public and he asked, is it right for Islamic monopoly? to ask my children in the school to read Quran? Is it right for Hindu children to study Quran in the schools? That's it, he was charged on various charges and then he was put in jail. After a year later, he was sentenced to death and still he's waiting in the jail and he does not know when he will be gone. You come to North Korea, an atheist country with mummified king. A few months ago, a woman was executed just because she was carrying a Bible. Even if you carry your diary with a black cover on it, they would even suspect and perhaps you may be killed. They did not just kill her, you know, with one stroke on her neck with a knife. They tortured her, pulling nail after nail. And they tortured her by pulling one tooth after another. And they asked her, would you deny Jesus Christ? She said, I would not. 
He has done no harm to me. I followed Jesus and she was executed. Her family, her children, everybody was sent to concentration center for a perennial torture. Today, North Korea has 200,000 Christian prisoners. 200,000. And think about communist China. The same thing is happening. Several hundreds of people in jail today. Think about India for last four years. There is a district called Kandhamal in Orissa. This district Christians have not celebrated Christmas for last four years. And on the Christmas day, most of these poor villagers do not have electricity, so they have to live by candles. But during the Christmas season, they were even afraid to light a candle during night time because they must, they're so much threatened by RSS people. Friends, every year, more than 200,000 people are killed, martyred for faith in Jesus Christ just because they embrace Jesus Christ. Open Doors tells us that every five minutes, a Christian in the world is martyred. By the time I finish my message, imagine how many people are killed. You know, most of the persecution takes place in a box, what we call 1040 window. The country is in 1040 window. How many of you are familiar with 1048 window? 20, well, these are the countries, you know, between 10 and 40 degrees latitude, stretching from Northern Africa till Asia last. So these places where gospel cannot be openly preached, about 90% of the countries in this box are unreached, even today. And most of the countries cannot permit the open preaching of the gospel. And in about 60 countries, Christians are constantly suffering harassment, torture, imprisonment, slavery, kidnapping, rape, martyrdom. Why? What did they do wrong just because they embraced Jesus? Jesus died for us. I'm not afraid of Jesus. That is the sin they committed. This is a huge human rights issue today. In fact, I write articles for United Methodist Church every um, month. And, you know, uh, I talk about what we can do as a church in the Western Comfort Zone for these people around the world suffering. Friends, I want to pinpoint four reasons why this persecution takes place in the world. First one, the exclusivity of Christian faith. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you say Shiva and Jesus, Hindus are okay with that. If you say their God plus Jesus, okay with that. But we cannot say Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody wanted to accept that one because their beliefs are buried. Their practices are buried because of this exclusivity of truth. That's why Jesus said, if people have persecuted me, they will persecute you also. 
So we should not be surprised if we are not persecuted. And the second is the political reason. The Christian action, Christian attitude, Christian practices are sometimes looked upon by non-Christians as a treason against the country. And some of you know about Christian history. Christianity was not always a loving religion, you know that? You know that we had 300 years of, what? Crusades. Muslims cannot forget this in some places today. It's a time for us to repent for our bitter past and correct today through our prayers, by our loving actions. And the third reason is the growth factor. We find it in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. The believers were scattered everywhere because of persecution of Stephen. So religious groups in particular geographical regions are afraid of the growth of Christianity. Anywhere Christian faith goes there, it will not remain as a single seed. It will just spread like wildfire. So the local beliefs are afraid of that growth. Exactly what happened in Egypt when Hebrews were growing in numbers. Pharaoh told, kill all the children. The more they killed, the more they grew. When all Indians shouted, quit India, quit India, British all said, well, we will go, but we will leave a problem with you. They divided Pakistan and India, you know that, right? Well, that time, there was a person named Rajagopal Achari. He was the last general governor of India. Somebody went and told, well, we threw away Westerners from our country. What about Christians? who are still followers, their spirit is still there in the church. And this Rajagopalachari said, Christians are like bed bugs. If you crush them, they will multiply. Leave them alone. So the whole world is afraid of Christianity because truth cannot be hidden anywhere, praise God. It cannot stay in one box. It spreads like wildfire. And the fourth reason for the persecution is lack of contextualization. That's what I just told you. Hindus consider in India Christians as Westerners. Today I'm what? I'm, you know, my whole being is Indian. This is Western. I have no tie. You know what? That is contextualization. <laughs> I'm trying to balance between East and West. <laughs> Today, Indian Hindus, fanatic groups, they say, well, if you make Christianity as an indigenous religion, we will follow. But the Western Westerners have left the country, but the spirit has not left the church. I mean, the way they worship, the way they behave, the way the hegemony is still there, so they are not happy with that. So we can minimize the persecution by training the pastors, local pastors, to be indigenous, to preach in the way they understand, in their belief ways. 
And today, about eight states in India have passed anti-conversion laws. It is never in the history of India. Eight states. You cannot give open baptism to any person in India. Why does God allow persecution of Christians? God knows that. You know, this is the truth and he has to continue this. I have two reasons for that. First one, to purify the church. Today we need persecution in the church because we need to be purified. How do you test your faith? Sometimes you need that. You cannot test your faith unless there is a test against this. And you find it in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 20. Jesus says, because you are lukewarm. And it, it goes on saying, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So, God wants to purify the church through persecution. You know what happened during the time of Constantine? In 313 AD, Constantine brought state and the church together. You know that? So many people became Christians, not by conviction, but by convenience. At the beginning, only saved people used to come into the church. But today, so many unsaved people also come for convenience, not, for, not through conviction. So God wants to bring a purification in the church through this one. If you come to my country, during the time of famine, during the time of caste oppression, many Dalit people have moved towards Christianity. They embraced Christianity not because they wanted Jesus, they wanted Christianity so that they can have an upper mobility in the social hierarchy. And they can have some funds for their living. They really do not know the heart and message of the gospel. And the second reason that God allows persecution is the propagation of the gospel. You know what happened in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Jesus told when the Holy Spirit come upon you, what happens? You will be filled with the power and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the world. The witnesses martyr, the, that's the Greek word. Well, Holy Spirit came, none of them went left Jerusalem, they were there. They were still enjoying what they have been doing. They were distributing the food. They were having all kinds of fellowships. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. And God thought, Holy Spirit simply will not work out with this. He brought persecution. There is a humor in that uh, Acts chapter 1-8. If you don't obey 1-8, God will bless you with 8-1. 8 8-1 <laughs> is about persecution. So the persecution scattered the believers from there. So God allows persecution so that the gospel can be spread abroad. That's what John chapter 12 verse 24 says, unless a kernel of wheat falls onto the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. All of us know the quote, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God allows persecution so that church can be strengthened in its mission 
to the people who are not willing to receive the gospel. What are we doing as a church in the comfort zone? Sometimes, many countries where there is no persecution, they are just acting like Nero. When Rome was burning, what Nero was doing, he was playing the fiddle. So many churches today, they have money, they are painting the painted walls, changing the cushions, changing the carpets, installing the tech. It's all good and great. But there is a great thing. God is asking the church in comfort to do something. And in Mark chapter 13, you see, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples came and told to Jesus, Jesus, look at this, look at this big size stone. What a surprise, such a big stone. How did they build this? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, there is a time coming. Not even one stone upon the other will remain here. They thought, okay, Jesus would appreciate the majesty architecture of Solomon. But Jesus said, no. In AD 70, the church was demolished to certain extent that not even one stone upon the other remained. I'm trying to say, my friends, please don't misunderstand me. I'm just trying to say that we have a responsibility. Let's not ignore our friends around the world who are going through these problems. Let's not bypass these happenings. We have a responsibility. First one, let us pray for the persecuted church. You know what happened when Peter was put in jail? Acts chapter 12, verse 5 to 12, it says, Peter was in chains and the church was praying unceasingly for the release of Peter. What happened? What happened? That is how the chains will be broken when we all pray together in faith and it is possible. You know what? Persecution cannot be stopped. But people can be released from the chains. Most of the prisoners, I, I already said, about 200, more than 200,000 prisoners in North Korea, in China, Morocco, Iran, Iraq, in several nations in 1040 window. And we also need to pray for boldness. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, Paul said, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray for me so that I may speak the gospel boldly. Friends, let me tell you, in 1994, I took a train from South India till North India to preach the gospel. I traveled three and a half days without reservation. And the Lord called me through various ways and I went there to preach the gospel and no, no mission organization came to support me and I continued my work by you know, painting the walls and you know, drawing and all that. And a uh, few people came once, once upon a time and they said, hey, you have, to, you have to leave this place. Go back to South India. This is not the place for you. We know why you are here. You did not come here for a job. You came here to preach the gospel. I said, that's fine. I'm earning my money. It's not from West. It's not from East, anywhere. It is from me. I'm earning. I have a freedom of speech in this country. I will continue preaching. And that's true. I, I might not have said it so hard. I must have said it cool. <laughs> then they left me. The other day, they caught me. About five to seven people, they came. 
it was like one evening I was standing at the you know on the road and it was a kind of so many people around India you know anywhere you go people everywhere just like small small bugs <laughs> 1.22 billion people well these five to seven people caught me and they just kicked me in raw reason and one of those guys was saying tomorrow you need to leave by train go back to South India that's what I heard and afterwards I had no idea what happened they all kicked me they just wherever they want to kick they kicked me and one of those guys burned a cigarette on my right hand I still have the mark of it and I thought I'm dead and they thought I'm dead and they left and I was lying there maybe one or two hours and afterwards I got and I saw people were watching as if it is circus it's not a circus it's a life Nobody wanted to come and rescue me. Nobody wanted to say anything to those people. They left, and even none of them transported me to any hospital. I had to limp and go back to my room. That whole night I did not sleep. And I was asking the Lord, Lord, what should I do? And my inner man was coming out. Come on, the guy who burned the cigarette, come on, find that guy out there. <laughs> the next day, literally speaking, the flesh, my friends, it's not easy in the persecution. I went throughout the city searching for that face. I did not find. Come back home and repent, God. I know you have not brought me here to take revenge on these people. If I were in the world, I would. I know still, I still remember when I was coming in 2008 to the US for a mission. I saw in the flight one woman sitting there and one man went by mistake touching her. She was anger on him. She said, you can't say sorry. You just hit me and going, what do you think you are? By mistake, he hit. That is how we feel when somebody do it even not knowingly. Think about somebody who does intentionally. Just take all your life in their hands and then beat you around, burn their cigarettes on your hands and do whatever they want. They kick in the very sensitive areas of your body. And what do you feel? It's not easy, my friends. So Paul said, you pray for me so that I will have boldness. Polycarp, when he was 80, the government caught him and said, you need to be killed unless you deny Jesus Christ. He said, for 80 years, I know Jesus. He never did any harm to me. How will I deny Jesus? Same thing happened with uh, Perpetua. This, this lady had a nursing child. <laughs> Small nursing child. Father said, Perpetua, leave for the sake of my age. I'm dying. I want you. At least look at your nursing child. She will die once you are gone. Just say one word. Deny Jesus. Then, you know, we can have fellowship. She said, no, I will not. And she was killed. In 1993, Tahir Iqbal was hanged for his faith. He was put in jail for several years prior to that. And when he was to be executed on a particular day, when the noose was coming, his hands were here. And then when noose was around here, he said, look through this noose. Look at your family, your siblings. You are going to go forever without meeting them. If you say one word, I deny Jesus, the noose will be lifted up. We are giving you last chance. You know what he said? If you untie my hands, I would grab that noose and I will kiss it. 
I will kiss it and die rather than denying Jesus Christ. Friends, this faith is not found in many places. This is one side of the Pershikra on the other side. Many people are weak in their faith. Whole village in Orissa, in India, when Hindu fanatic groups threatened, they all were reconverted to Hinduism. A pastor in Punjab went back to Hinduism, worshipping the idols. So what I'm trying to say is persecution also affecting not just growth, it is sometimes reverting. It is decreasing the growth of Christianity. Mark Moore says, this century, Christianity fallen in Turkey from 32% to 0.2% because of persecution. In Syria, Christianity came from 40% to 10%. Iran, from 15 to 2%. Iraq, from 35 to 5%. So unless we pray, we cannot do it. We need to pray for them. So let's also pray for the persecutors who are doing this. So that these adversaries become advocates for Jesus Christ, just like Saul turned to be Paul. All the opponents of the gospel may become exponents of the gospel and also participate in the suffering. That's what I want to tell you, my friends. I already told you in the beginning, if one part suffers, it affects the whole body of Christ. Remember those who are in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. That's what the author of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 3 says. You feel as if you are in jail, as if your brother is in jail, as if your sibling, close sibling is in jail. If we bypass these happenings, Exactly what Jesus asked in Matthew chapter 25, verse 43. I was a stranger and you have not invited me. I needed clothes, you have not put clothes on me. I was in prison, you have not visited me. And we would ask God, Jesus, when did you, when did you come and ask when you were naked, when you were in prison that we have not visited you? Oh, whatever you have done unto the least of these ones, you have done it unto me. My friends, when Paul was in jail, the church in Philippi and other places, they collected offerings and given for him. In Indonesia, just a few years ago, about 10,000 Christians were killed and 10,000 houses were burned. Where will they go? If the church, you have seen already in the video, some people have said, don't come to church anymore. This is what the response of the church, let us have passion. That's why in John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus said, lift up your eyes. And see, Jesus could have simply said, look at them, see. But he said, lift up your eyes because we are concerned about our own things around us. You have to take off your eyes from our immediate surroundings, our own church, our own people, our own ministry. Let's lift up our eyes and see what is there beyond. And let us continue to help this persecuted church through prayers and whatever we can do. Let me tell you, my friend, remind you, this is not a human tragedy. It is a spiritual reality. So we are all part of this big battle in the field. Today, it is not easy to be a Christian in the world. It's an extraordinary time to be a Christian. I challenge you today, come and see the world around. What's happening? So many in jail, they have not seen their parents for long time. They have not seen their wife for long time, husbands. 
and we wanted to have a fresh vision for this, have a passion for the world, so that we may partake in the pain, in the plan, and the mission of God. May God bless you. Thanks, Nahar. As you guys come, um, let me just say that there's a bunch of material on getting some more information about the persecuted church outside the sanctuary here on the right-hand side. Um, thanks for the Millers for getting that and putting it out there for us. Also, I'll be speaking in ABF about some of the mission stuff I've done in India, and we'll talk a little bit more about this when is up preaching in the second service. Um, and Minohar will be around a little bit to talk to you if you want. And I'll try to bookend some of this stuff and talk about very specifically what this could mean for High Point Church next week when I preach the last sermon in this series. So some of these things that he talked about, just put them on hold for a week. And we'll talk a little bit more next week about what this means for us specifically, this local church, and what we, we can do together. Okay?